Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 255, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, will dive into the data on teachers sending students to the office. Stay with us. Miss is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each episode, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This episode, our guest explains how just leading with laughter can completely change the culture in your school. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Smith's podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how was your Thanksgiving? It was wonderful. Had a great time with family, but also plenty of days to just rest. I didn't do a thing. I like that. I mean, that's that's what we need to do sometimes. You know, it's like you can travel and you can visit with friends. I drove back to Mississippi, visited with some family, um, and I loved it. I had a great time, but at the okay. same time, you know, you get back and you've got to quickly reset, get ready for the work week, and it's hard. It is. But uh, I guess we're on track for uh, Christmas, just being three or four weeks away, depending on your school district. What's kind of the the disposition, do you think, of educators around the country right now during this time of year when you're between these two vacation periods? It's hard. It's definitely hard to come back after days of rest. And for many of them, um, depending whether they had to host or if they had to travel, it may have felt like it went by really fast for them. Um, just from some of the things I saw on Facebook, so many teachers were like, oh my gosh, I got to set an alarm for tomorrow. But I also saw posts from school administrators, and this is not just local, I have friends all over the country that were in superintendents that were posting, hey, you know, we get to go back to work tomorrow. No, it's hard, but let's all have a good attitude and come back and give our kids 150%. And I have never seen that, um, you know, all across the board. And I love that. So I think it's hard because you got to get up out of the bed in the cold weather. But at the same time, let's knock it out and end this fall semester on top. Right. And we could be all going to school with thermometers and masks, right? Like it could be worse and it was worse it not that long definitely, ago. Definitely. It definitely could be worse. So I think, you know, there's mixed emotions, but at the same time, um, everybody's got to get back at it and, and kids need to get back to their structured schedules. Today, I've got a story. Um, it's an article from Educational Researcher, where um, a researcher from the University of Maryland, along with a researcher from Germany, actually, from the Institute of Labor Economics, as well as the University of California. So these three teamed up for a four-year study of teachers, and they looked at the data on teachers sending students to the office. And before we dive into the data, I want to talk real world because you've you've been a principal, you've been in the main office, like you've seen, you've been a teacher, of course, you've seen how teachers do when they send kids to the office and maybe like you could typecast those teachers. Like, is it, is it normally the same type of teachers? Is it new teachers that send kids to the office? Like what's your general take? I think that um, it's situational and it varies. I'd have to say pre-COVID 
definitely teachers with poor classroom management. And that could be, you know, a lot of new teachers and there's a couple of veterans thrown in, in there. But I also think that um, temperament and behavior has changed quite a bit since COVID. Of the students? Of the students. When we returned to school, we saw a lot more acting out, um, a lot of increased behaviors. But to me, it still boiled down to if you had a strong classroom management plan, if you had beautiful relationships with your students, you could rein them in and get them back on track. So what I see is that it's it's all about the relationship. So it, it, it can be a brand new teacher and it could be a veteran teacher, but I also want to shout out new teachers. They have a lot of energy and a lot of excitement and they are able to make connections with, with students because they're, you know, they're fresh to the game and they have a lot of new ideas. And so that can make a difference in a classroom every day of the week. All right. And before we dive into the data, one more question. Like as a principal, is it is it frowned upon when you have a teacher who's consistently sending students? Do you start to say, all right, that teacher has a bad class? Or do you say, all right, that teacher is struggling to manage her students? Like, how do you look at it as a principal? Well, I think um, you have to look at your behavior, your discipline ladder. You have to ensure that the teacher isn't just going from zero to, you know, uh, 100 and, 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 and writing referrals left and right for any minor infraction. If the teacher has um, high quality instruction prepared, engaging activities, and he or she is following the discipline ladder, then of course it's important to do some classroom observations, take a look at the makeup of the class, see what's going on, and drill it down to, wow, did I put a class full of a lot of tough guys in there? Um, is it a class full of a lot of low children who, you know, they struggle with instruction, so they act out to keep from having to read out loud, something to that effect? Or is this really um, a disaster created because from day one, we didn't set the tone for the classroom um, from the teacher's perspective. So you really got to look at it and have some conversations with that teacher, help them out, provide them with support, do some modeling, make sure that they understand the expectations for how to respond. Because some behaviors you do have to ignore, some behaviors you do have to get your parents involved, hold students accountable. But then those those serious infractions, those major infractions, um, you can't, you got to have zero tolerance. All right. So here's the data. Only about a third of teachers in the district that they were studying ever made an office referral in a given year. Does that sound about right? Like, yep. so, yep. Just about, it's like, that's kind of the repeat offenders, one third. And now that's not even fair. I shouldn't call them repeat offenders, but, um, People who send teachers who are sending kids to the student, that's one third. And then half of those teachers, half of that one third, referred fewer than five students a year. That seemed low to me. That's really good. Yeah, it's kind of what I thought because I fi yeah. figured, you know, I don't know. Five seems low. Well, there are some infractions that you don't have a choice. If two students get into a fist fight, if students use extreme profanity towards each other and or towards staff, you don't have a choice. You've got to do the paperwork and consequences have to ensue. So I would love to see if they provided the level of infraction um, for those students that were sent out repeatedly. Let me ask you a question. Did Have you ever been referred to the office as a student? I have not. I think I was once and I have zero, like I remember going and then the, the principal be, or assistant principal being like, why are you here? And I like you said, and they're like, all right, don't do that. Go back. Were you talking, like, Nick? Were you talking too was, much in class? It was probably, yeah, it was like disruptive. <laughs> it was something like How that. But I guess you were doing too much talking. <laughs> I feel seen. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Next one. Uh, the average referral rate 
was less than one student every two months also seems low to me. Um, but this is okay. Um, it says a small number of teachers, 1.7% referred over 48 students a year. Now that's high, but it's like a very small percentage, right? It's a small percentage because you don't know the number of students they had total enrolled. So basically that's like, I mean, so you don't know the total number of teachers on staff. If I had 20 teachers and it was 1%, then we're talking about, you know, one teacher. But if I have say 95 teachers, how many teachers does that equate to? Well, I mean, if it's if it's a hundred teachers and it's one point seven percent, it's basically one or two teachers are referring mm-hmm. the majority of the students. And so then there's a concern because those same students have to take at least six teachers in that building. So what are the other five doing? Fair point. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. it just depends. Yep. All right. Top referrers were most likely to teach in middle school. I'm sorry to chuckle about that. Uh huh. <laughs> right. That is not shocking at all. Right. Why are the middle schoolers so bad? I don't know. Well, and it's not necessarily that they're bad. They're in the transition phase. They don't know if they want right. to go to the playground and play and be an elementary kid or if they think they're grown and I'm old enough to make decisions and you can't tell me what to do. They're really in a bad transition. It is. It's hard for kids to understand what's funny and what's not. And yeah. I think in middle yep. school, you often try to be funny and you're not, right? Well, they're trying to figure out their, you know, socializing. Mm-hmm. They don't know who they are, what they like. They're very insecure. Lots of things hurt their feelings. They want to be accepted. And this group over here is not accepting me. So if I act out, maybe they'll think I'm cool. It's just so many emotions that they deal with every day. And then you see another change as they become high school freshmen. All right, this one, feel free to comment or not. Black and Hispanic teachers were much less likely to be the top referrers than their white colleagues. So in other words, the white colleagues were the ones that were more likely to refer students to the office. So you want to know if that's shocking for me? It's hard to answer that question only because I don't know the demographics of that school. Now, if it's similar to um, high minority no, it's not. Surprising. Well, okay. So maybe this next stat will offer some clarity. It says the top referrers were much more likely to refer more African American and Hispanic students than white and Asian students. So if you kind of put those two together, no. it almost sounds like the white colleagues or the white educators are more likely to refer African American and Hispanic students. Yep, that's what that's saying, and is that is not surprising. Um, and there's but varying factors. It could be tolerance level. Um, it could be fear. Mm-hmm. reacting mm-hmm. out of fear. Um, and then, of course, preconceived ideas um, and having their mind made up about certain students. So it just depends. And then it, it, the data claims that the gaps cascaded into racial gaps in out-of-school suspensions, right? Like, so if these mm-hmm. teachers are referring yep. minorities and then next thing you know, they're more likely to get out-of-school suspensions because I guess the principal's seeing these kids in the office. And yes. Heard. Um, and that's not new data, Nick. That's been going on for a long time. And it's going to be difficult for a principal. It's like, you, you know, a teacher, if they're referring a student, right, and this student mm-hmm. might be kind of bad, but at the same, and it's like, you got to back your teacher, right? Like as a principal, you you know, you got to yes. back this other adult in the building. But I'm sure there's times where the principal's like, this is, this student's being treated unfairly. And you have to have those difficult conversations. And you also have to uh, hope that principals are looking at their data um, broken down in mm-hmm. that way. If you have a large building, um, you know, you you might not stop to say, 
well, what's the race of the students or what's the grade level of the students that this teacher's writing up most often? It may just be that they're looking at it holistically. She writes a lot of referrals. But if they really disaggregate that data and identify that it's, you know, disproportionate and bring it to the teacher's light, you may you don't necessarily have to say too much. Just put the data on the wall. Do you think wall. that um, whether at the district office or by school, like, do they have the resources to quickly pull that data and say, hey, Absolutely. This comes from the student management system. Um, It says uh, only about 25% of the top referrers in a given year were still in that category the next year and even a smaller percent the following year. So that kind of tells you that referring behavior is can be changed, right? Like it can be with the right supports, but also the right attitude. You have to want to learn and grow and develop and get better. Um, and and see where, you know, you may be making mistakes or having, you know, uh, inappropriate judgments ahead of time. Um, but then you also have to have great leadership in place that can set that example for you and model and train. All right. So I want to end with some advice from you. Um, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this and you kind of are starting to think like, am I referring too much to the office? Like, what would be your advice to a teacher that maybe refers a fair amount? I would ask to see my discipline and attendance data um, monthly, take time to review and see how I'm following the discipline ladder, how many phone calls or, you know, communications have I conducted with parents, Mm -hmm. how many respectful conversations have I had with students. And that might be a hard pill to swaddle because many adults will say, well, I don't have to give kids respect. I'm the adult. But in this day and age, you do, because when children feel embarrassed um, and put, you know, put off, they react. And so having those private conversations, encouraging them, building stronger relationships to get down to the root of why children are acting out. And then if you're starting to wonder, okay, is it me? Am I reacting too quickly? Is my tolerance level way too low? then seek out support from a veteran colleague if you're too embarrassed to talk to your leader about it or go to an assistant principal. Oftentimes, they're the ones that'll sit down with you, um, come and model for you, identify some videos that you can watch to build your toolkit on how to redirect off-tax behavior. But if nothing else, simply ask for help and be open to the strategies. Yeah, I mean, you said something. How effective is it, do you think, for a teacher to text a parent and say, hey, you know, little Nick is a little disruptive. He's talking a lot in class. I really don't want to send him to the office. Could you please maybe talk to him about his behavior in class? Like, is that an effective strategy? It is, but you've got to think about that that precursor, that pre-work. It's so important at the very beginning of the year or beginning of the semester that you are serving a student to reach out to parents and build the relationships before you need them mm-hmm. to, to right. interact with you. Talk about the positives about their child. Share what's going on in your classroom, the expectations, how rigorous the work may be, um, what you expect out of their children. And then when you reach out to them and say, hey, I need some help this morning, Christine, is just not her normal self. She's talking out a lot. It's disruptive. And I'm trying my best to get all 30 of them ready for their upcoming assessment or from their for their upcoming project project that they're going to have turning in. And she's really, you know, turning my class upside down. Can you help me? Using the right terminology can reel a parent in. But the moment you determine, because there are some disengaged parents, parents who maybe don't have the strategies themselves or don't care, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, 
if you've done the work, you've tried, you've tried to reach out, well, find out who that child does respect. It might be an older sibling. It might be an uncle. See if they're in the system. Do what you can. And then the next steps, in my opinion, is to reach out to a counselor or a behavior specialist before it gets to an administrator. Try your in-school and in-district strategies and resources. I do love that advice, though, about building that um, I guess you call it emotional bank, um, giving positive yeah. feedback, depositing that mm-hmm. into the bank. So then when you go to send something negative, you still got a lot of positive in there. So it doesn't just Absolutely. seem like you're the negative teacher, you know? Exactly. So. Let Don't let that be your first time communicating with a parent mm-hmm. is to get a negative text because it will rub them the wrong way. Like, well, if he's been a problem, I've never heard from you there. They go on the defensive before they're open to understanding how it's led to you reaching out to them. Uh, I think that applies to managing people as well. Same thing, you know, yep. um, how's your family? How are you doing? How was your break? Blah, yep. blah, blah. And then, you know, when you got to have it's that tougher so conversation. Important. Yeah. All right. Excellent conversation, Christina. I appreciate your time. Are you ready for today's bread idea? Yes, let's roll. Our guests in today's Bright Idea segment are two gentlemen who recently had their work featured on the National Association of Independent Schools website. Oli Jorgensen is the head of school at Almaden Country Day School in San Jose, and Duncan Lyon is the head of school at the Cary School in San Mateo, California. Together, they conducted surveys and interviews to determine why laughing matters in leadership. Gentlemen, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. I I love this topic because I've I've held leadership positions before, uh, and I feel like this is something that is overlooked. What what made you two decide to to dive into to humor and making people laugh? <laughs> I guess I could start. So, uh, Nick, I had uh, an idea a while back to have at opening faculty meetings to pass out a folder that said the funny files on it, and it was a blank folder, and I just passed it out to every faculty member when I started my headship here eight years ago, and I said. When funny things happen throughout the year, just put them in this folder. And then every once in a while, we'll have a faculty meeting in February or March, and we'll pull them out, and and we'll just uh, laugh our heads off at all the craziness that happens in schools that sustains us and keeps us going. Um, So that's been our practice. We call it the funny files. And in conversations with some other educators, they said, hey, that seems like a neat idea. You know, we always borrow techniques from one another. So this is one that seemed to have some traction. And that led Ole and I into a conversation about uh, the dimensions of this and how everybody in schools seem to value laughter, um, but nobody really understands exactly how the thing works. So we thought to just explore it a little bit more. Okay, so the funny file, you passed that out. Did it, was it adapted the way you thought it would be? Actually, yes. I mean, not everybody uh, fills it up to the extent that I do. Uh, my, mine is on my desk right now as, as we're conducting this interview. And it goes back actually uh, for, for, for years, actually a couple decades now for me. And it just take, it connects me back to those moments, former students, former colleagues, former families. And uh, it just brings a smile on my face. You know, Steve Kerr, uh, the, the basketball coach, he talks about trying to find joy uh, in, in leadership. And this helps me find joy whenever I reach for this file. And so I think there are some other devotees on our, on our faculty who actually use the file that way. And it, it does work in meetings as well. We, uh, 
we, we do have a good time whenever we have a funny file segment. So, um, Oli Duncan says, all right, let's, let's dive into this. I, I guess you guys must be friends or you must know each other somehow. And then it's kind of like, all right, so how are we going to do this? Are we going to, you know, like what was the process of trying to research humor? Yeah. I mean, we are, we're friends and uh, colleagues. Our schools are not, um, they're not in close proximity, so we, we don't compete for, for students. Um, otherwise there's no way I'd, I'd cooperate with them. <laughs> but, but we, no, I'm just kidding. But we, uh, you know, when, when Duncan called me with his idea, I just thought it was brilliant because nobody's, at least nobody in the independent school orbit um, has been thinking or talking about this. And I thought, wow, Duncan, that's a, that's a really great idea. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the power of humor. And like Duncan, I start every meeting, every faculty meeting with some, something humorous because, you know, you, no matter what, um, usually these meetings happen at the end of the day. People are tired. Um, not everybody likes meetings, you know, for whatever the reason, um, starting with, a, with laughter just lightens everything. And it, and it, even if you've got a really serious topic, it's a great way to lead into it. So we just, we decided to, uh, split it up. Uh, Duncan, uh, wrote a, a draft of the, uh, what became the article. And, um, I looked at it and I thought, well, here's a couple of things that, you know, from a just pure research on the, the, the role of humor and, sort of the neurobiology of humor and ways in which it can contribute to leadership. So I took that on as, as my contribution. Uh, and then we sort of grafted our two, our two parts together and, um, had some, did a little work on, on editing. And, and then we, we had this piece that we submitted and weren't sure if it was, uh, we actually got turned down, uh, at a, for a conference, uh, with this topic. And so we weren't sure where it was going to go. Why do you think you got turned down? It seems like this is something that should be discussed. Oh, they just didn't have a sense of humor, I guess. I <laughs> <laughs> but you know, seriously, <laughs> Nick, you know. I will say that the the response when we put out surveys uh, through CIS and NAS was really heartwarming. Uh, I remember one response from a school head who said, your survey just makes me happy. <laughs> the fact that someone's looking into this. Uh, Duncan, you mentioned the survey. So what type of questions were in it when you sent it out? Well, I think the subject was something like got humor. Uh, and we then asked folks to the ways in which they intentionally or unintentionally use humor in their schools and in their leadership practice. And were there areas that they uh, thought that should be explored more that, that, that haven't been and what have you. So it was, it was fairly open-ended because we wanted to get, see what we get back. And, you know, if people had examples uh, of of humor, uh, we we really encourage that. And uh, so anyway, the response was very healthy, and I think it it, it certainly gave Ole and I an idea that this was this was a, a topic that uh, that resonated with leaders. Well, and I would love to hear what you guys think are some tips for for somebody who is in a leadership role, but they this is an uncomfortable area for them. They they feel like they're not funny. Um, they don't know where to start. And, and maybe I, if I heard you right, Oli, about the, the self-deprecating humor, that might be a good way to go. Are there others? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a section in the article, um, Nick, that's um, how to be funny even if you're not, um, which I think is funny in itself. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, Duncan's right that, uh, you know, you don't want it to be forced. Can I just read it before I do look at the tips? Can I just read... Duncan has this line that he wrote yeah, please. that I really, really like in this um, 
article that speaks to what he just said. Can I just read this real quick? Sure. It's a sentence. He said, Duncan wrote, humor, like fire, has a fragility and a power to it. It can be enjoyed and then extinguished quickly or be used proverbially to, proverbially to burn down a building. So, so if I'm hearing you right, I interpret that fragility as if you have to be a little careful with the humor. You don't want it to become a, an HR issue. You don't want to go too far. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to be mindful, you know, and again, that's like Duncan said, you know, the, um, you have to be, uh, if you, if you force it, 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 it can't work. We I mean, in the article, Duncan, um, I think he termed, he termed it the thing of humor, you know, it, it humor finds you, um, when you go after it, it can sometimes not work. I, I start the faculty meeting sometimes with a silly video that I find, you know, like, um, like some, some nine-year-old kid gives me a video and I put, I put it up in front of the faculty and, or, you know, or other ones. Sometimes I find them myself. And there's a couple of times when I didn't have anything and it was right before the meeting and I grabbed a video and I showed it to the faculty and it bombed. Like the one, like there's this one of a, a hippopotamus farting for like 45 <laughs> seconds. And, you know, it's somebody's home video. And I thought that was really funny, but, 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 but it didn't work. So, I mean, that's the thing of humor. It, it finds you. But if you, you know, how to be funny when maybe you're not funny, it does, you don't have to, it's not whether you're funny, we write, it's what kind of funny you are. You well, know, just, I got to ask though, you, you say the hippo didn't work. So you played this video of like 45 seconds of a hippopotamus <laughs> farting and it was like a quiet <laughs> yeah. room. Like what happened there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of, uh, um, uh, so my, my faculty is pretty expressive and, um, you know, I work in a world where there, I, there are, there are like four men on campus and 60 women. And so I, um, I have to be mindful of, of ways in which, uh, you know, there are, there's sort of gendered humor too. And we have to recognize that and, and, and be thoughtful about that. And that particular, that my, my teachers will clap, um, after my videos, uh, <laughs> generally. And, um, they're, there wasn't any clapping that day. So <laughs> that, we just moved on. Funny. Well, uh, so yeah, not, it's not whether you're funny, Duncan, you know, the tips that from the humor code. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm just looking at those. You want to, you want to, well, I, I, think, I, think, I think it does speak to this whole idea of, of humor IQ. And it, and I think the point is you don't have to be the funniest person in the room, but again, you just have to, you have to be yourself. There's an aspect of, you know, we're all distinctive by our fingerprints, right? So, be, be funny in the way that is your unique fingerprint. And some, for some people that might be, you know, wry timing for others. It might be, you know, a certain creativity they bring with, with videos um, that may have been poorly chosen. <laughs> but, but, one, but one, one of the, one of the things is, is this difference between like aha funny and haha funny, right? So haha funny is sort of comedy, stand up comedy, all that. Aha funny is more cleverness, right? Right. It's, 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 there's a, and so sometimes that's just enough to show people that, Hey, you do have a sense for humor and a sense of humor. Another little tip that uh, one had shared with us was this, this idea of kind of counter programming when things are heavy, go light. Uh, and, and there's an art to that too, I'm sure. Um, but again, the various ways in which you can do this, I had, we had a faculty meeting where, uh, our, our receptionist was, was a little frustrated because she has a copier right near her, uh, her station. And, and it, it's sort of central station. Everybody's kind of passing through there. And the amount of copies that get left behind or people send things to the printer and they don't pick them up. And so she said, 
what do we do about this? Right. And so I just brought them to a faculty meeting and I just started passing them out to people. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, here's your taxes. Right. And talk about fragility. I mean, it was something where I think I, I couldn't have done that in my first year. Maybe people would have thought, uh, you know, who's this guy? Right. Uh, but but once I had established a level of trust and we had done this sort of funny file thing, um, it is a gear that I can use as as a leader. Could I put you on the spot real quick, Duncan? And you might even need a sure. second, but could you grab that file and just like grab, find something in it that so people kind of understand the type of stuff that's going in it and, and tell us what uh, it says? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Here's um, it has to be like PG rated, Duncan. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, so we have a teacher who uh, wonderful teacher, just kind of institution, and she w- had this gift for malprops and and in in speaking that never in her writing, but in, in, in verbally she would somehow. And I think we all do this. She would just sort of mix up her metaphors sometimes, and you know. So I started writing these down. Because there, they were, there were so many of them. And I thought, I just got to capture this. And so one time she said, um, it's just a little blimp in the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so things like that I write down. Here's a, here's a note from a student. Here's a note from a student right. that said, uh, thank you for the, this is from one student to another. Thank you for the gift card to Books, Inc. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited to use this gift card. I won't be re-gifting it. only from kids right here's another one from uh these are uh haiku poetry right regarding microsoft errors um yesterday it worked today it is not working windows is like that (laughs) it's good um anyways so yes there's some of these that are are probably not fit for uh fit for uh, a podcast um but anyway, it gives you some sample of just if it makes you laugh, if if it's going to resurrect joy in you, put it in the file. And uh, I'll tell you one quick story is in, in here, I have a note from a former student when I worked at the Dalton School in New York City. And, and one day, this I came to my, I was dean of students, and I came to my office, and there was a goldfish, a live goldfish in a plastic baggie in a little bit of water on my door. And it said, Mr. Lion, please save this fish. <laughs> you see something new every day you come to school. Uh, so I found a fish bowl, put the goldfish in, in there. And, I, and one of my advisees said, hey, did you get that fish I left for you? And I said, yes, I did. Tell me about this. And he told me that somebody in the school had brought their goldfish to school because their parents wanted to get rid of it and they tried to flush it down the toilet oh, wow. and it didn't work. And this student happened to come in the stall next and he rescued it. Wow. So actually that water was toilet water. So we, we had to like clean the tank and all this anyway. So I left the school, came out to California and every time I went back to visit Dalton, I would go visit the fish and they, they got a bigger and bigger tank for it. <laughs> and, and so this fish really took on a story of its own. And so uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, this student is now applying for uh, Bolt Law School. And wow. he, he uh, said, hey, can we go out to dinner? Uh, and I said, sure, uh, but, but we're not going to eat fish. <laughs> 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 no seafood. 
Uh, that, so it, it's those kinds of things, right? The, where there's this, this enduring aspect to humor. Um, you know, you guys mentioned um, pranks and, and you even like show an example. I think maybe somebody you surveyed or somebody wanted to, to yes. tell a story about a prank. Like kind of give me the, you know, the 30,000 foot view of pranks. Are, are they a good thing? Bad thing? Do you encourage them? Not. What do you think, Ole? Yeah, I mean, I'm. I confess that I love to do pranks, and my uh, senior admin team uh, uh, sort of ri- are ritual pranksters, but but only in our only in our group because we're not sure that that would fly with the faculty. I think it just you know humor. You have to be uh, mindful about it. I guess I'm, I don't always have the best discretion, but um, ultimately the goal is you know in the end for me anyway. The reason I was so excited about this project. Um, you know, whether you're showing videos or doing the funny files or, or doing pranks, um, your, your goal is to try to like, um, you know, um, schools run on energy and affection and, uh, aloha and love. And, um, and you have to somehow optimize that, right? There was a, there was a book in the 1990s. Uh, I don't remember it very well, but the title has always stuck with me and it's, you know, feed the teachers or they eat the children, right? <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's hyperbole, but it makes sense. If you, if you can make school a joyful place, if you can, you know, whether that's um, pranks or silly videos or, or the funny files or whatever, if you can, if you contribute to a, a working and learning environment that is, um, that is happy and joyful, then the teachers are going to give that much more in the classroom to the children. They're going to model that, it, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it just, it just, it lifts all boats. And we, I think humor is just central to that. That's why I was so excited to work with Duncan on this project. Uh, and yeah, we do pranks. Yep. You want some details? Like well, the other thing I was going to say quickly on pranks is that <laughs> I, I think with like with all humor, if, if there is a, a target, if that is, is a victim of a prank or, or a joke or what have you, ultimately nobody feels good about that. I mean, sometimes right. people, and we talk to kids about this, mm-hmm. um, now, we, when I was at, in New York, we had the chance to bring in John Cleese um, to speak to uh, the high school students. And uh, he got there an hour early. So I had the wonderful opportunity to hang out with John Cleese for an hour. And he said, well, what, what do you really want to get across to these kids? And I said, well, can you try and explain humor and, and how it works? And you know, actually a little bit, maybe an antecedent for this article. And he did a wonderful job of it because in part of what he explained to the students was if everybody's in on the joke, if it's inclusive, then people want more of that. He said, don't mistake laughter for humor. He said, laughter, sometimes it can be a reaction people have because they're uncomfortable. Right. Um, so if there is a target. So I think when, when into to the prank idea, you have to be very careful. And that's, I think, why we stress in the article this idea about self-deprecation because there is a leveling effect to self-deprecation, particularly as, as a head of school or as a school administrator. Um, it does bring out the humanity of everybody. Um, so I will just say this, that my staff pranks me on my birthday every year. <laughs> um, and it, t- it takes different forms. And I appreciate that because it does say something about uh, our culture. I feel that we must have achieved something here if they feel comfortable where they can prank me and they know that I can, I can take a joke. So while I don't appreciate having confetti quite literally all Everywhere. over my office, yeah. 
where I'm still finding it. It, it could be you know, glitter. It could be worse. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I, I really appreciate the spirit behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And it seems like self-deprecating is maybe a safe way. If you're going to wade into the water with humor and you don't know how funny you are, if you're, if you're being self-deprecating, it's it, you don't have to worry about the targets you, essentially, right? Is that the way you guys interpret that? Right. There was a head of, I don't think it made the article, um, but th- there was a head of school who in California who, uh, they, the, the CIS heads have a wonderful tradition of um, a retiring uh, dinner in, in Santa Barbara at the end of the school year. And this, this head of school got up there um, to an audience that just really appreciates her and knows her. And after a 30-year career, and she said, I worked my ass off in this job unfortunately not literally <laughs> and you know there, there's something about it again that gets about this whole fingerprint idea right, right? where she, if you know her she executed that in in such a singular way that was so distinctive to her you know if i said that it wouldn't have been as funny right it wouldn't work it would feel forced and all that so um but there, there very much is an equalizing aspect of it when it's done right I really have enjoyed this conversation. I think this is a topic that does need to happen. And hopefully folks listening, you know, are, are you know, thinking about this. And so when they go back to their, their leadership role, no matter how large or, or small that is, that they're thinking this is a way I can, you know, lighten the room up a little bit and, and maybe um, increase the, the culture and then improve the culture. Um, so I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Is there um, a way to, if somebody wants to follow you or just things that are going on in your school, or, are you guys on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? LinkedIn for me for Oli. Uh, yeah, I think we're we're both on LinkedIn. Our schools have have uh, you know Twitter and and Facebook, but uh, uh, always happy to, to use old fashioned email and, and and the phone conversation is is great as well. Okay, well I'll link also some of that to the uh, the article on our website if anybody wants to to follow up with you guys or share the survey or learn more about the uh, the funny file that you uh, have, Duncan. So again, I appreciate y'all's time. Are are you ready for the pop quiz? Sure, hope so. All right. First question. If students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Recess. That's an unusual one. I would one. say... You're going to have to back I'm, up recess. Not, I'm not joking. Yeah, There's no. so much they learn at recess. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an historian by training, so I would say uh, integrated history. What? what? Do you, when you say integrated history, what do you mean? I mean, a, an interdisciplinary history course, mm. a course that's, that's not sort of straight uh, diplomatic history or uh, uh, history of, of, of white men or something, but rather uh, a course that is interdisciplinary in terms of science, in terms of philosophy, in terms of literature. Um, so using historical framework, but really having it be have multi-disciplines in, informing it. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I'd say K-12 media literacy. I think media literacy happens in pockets here and there. But I think very early ages and facts matter uh, in, this, in this day and age. I think we need to educate uh, young people all the way through K-12 about the importance of, of how to consume and actually produce uh, media and digital content mm-hmm. we're working on a course called life economics which is um putting kids in a position of, of and this is older students uh middle school kids uh putting in a position of um you know doing some of the things that they're they're not getting exposed to anymore you know how to balance a checkbook and plan a 
vacation or plan a wedding and see what what that entails. What does every child deserve? I, I would say uh, habits of independence. Uh, Sleep, hygiene, wellness, cognition, sociability, uh, whatever we can do as parents and educators to build habits of independence, I think that's what every child deserves. That's a great answer. I, the research is really clear, Nick, on, um, on the assets. There's a, uh, you know, a series of 40 assets that, uh, that children need, you know, say 15 of, to be healthy and whole. And the most important one is uh, to have one dependable adult who loves and cares for them. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Hmm. Uh, I, I would say being heard amid the landscape of distraction that there's, there's, we're saturated with media and pop culture. And I think the role of educators has changed in our society to the point where we we really have to compete. We have to have Twitter handles. We have to get creative to get our message out. Uh, I think we know what to say, actually, but but being heard is is a challenge. Oh, we- I think it's um, the challenge that we've faced for two hundred years in America, and that is the um, the professionalization of teaching. To until teachers are recognized as. Uh, as professionals uh, in the same way that uh, people in fields like law and medicine engineering are, uh, it's going to be difficult for them to achieve any of their other objectives from salary and compensation to having a greater voice in uh, curriculum instruction. What's the best gift to give an educator? The month of July. (laughs) (laughs) You're on a roll, man. Uh, All right. So I'll take the literal uh, answer. Um, we've actually made the shift here uh, to um, having the children give rather than, you know, gift cards and so on. What the teachers really want at my school is um, sort of these handmade cards that the kids write in and that sort of thing, artwork from the children, something that is a genuine reflection of the impact that they're having on on the children they teach. That, that's, that means the world. That's funny you say that. I actually got in touch with uh, my sixth, fifth grade teacher on Facebook about a year ago and she wow. had something that I gave her yeah you know and yep. I'm sure if it, I just gave her you know something that was materialistic she probably wouldn't have had it anymore so I, I how did right that, how did that make you feel Nick what oh it was awesome it, it was really neat like I mean that's she remembered me and I can't even remember what it was I'd have to go back and look at the Facebook uh, post that, or message we had but yeah it was really cool to think that like I was one of hundreds, if not thousands of students. And yeah, she still had that. And she remembered me and connected those. It was an artifact of the relationship. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Awesome. Well said. Um, Which teacher changed your life? I had two. I had a teacher, Sudi Sides, in high school who always told me I would be a good teacher. And she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And lo and behold, I, after graduating from college, I did go back to teach alongside of her. Um, so that's one. And the other is the late Pearl Kane, wow. um, at yeah. Um, she, she really, I think set my sights much higher than I was setting for myself. And she brought things out of me. I didn't know I had. Uh, Oli, did I hear, do you, did you know that teacher as well? Did I? Oh yeah. She's, she's on my list too. The first time I met Pearl Kane, I was a brand new head of school and 
Uh, we were in a conference of about 35 heads of school, and I said something that I thought was really clever and you know provocative, and actually was actually um, uh, false. <laughs> I mean, not not actually factually provable, or anyway, it was it was pretty pretty stupid in in retrospect. But Pearl um, is about was about four feet eight inches tall, and she um, she pretty much leveled me uh, with a uh, showing me in, in a patient kind voice how wrong I was. And um, I sat down in the chair and a couple minutes later, the conversation continued and I looked across at Pearl and she smiled at me and winked. And that began our relationship. She was um, one of the best teachers I've, I've ever known. And we, we just lost Pearl and it's, it's a, a huge impact on, on our community, on the whole education community. That's, that's pretty amazing though, that, you know, here I have two teachers, two educators that, uh, you know, we're impacted by the same person. That's that's yeah. not that common, I, I would guess. Yeah. Well, she was at Teachers College Columbia, and she founded the, the Klingenstein Center. So there's many of us who gotcha. uh, feel the same way. So, yep. Excellent. Last question: pen or pencil? Pen. I do. I do. New York Times crossword and pen. Oh wow! Not always successfully. That's tough. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I can only really get through Tuesday, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'll take it up a notch. So. For me, it's a permanent marker oh, wow. because I'm left-handed and I just got sick of smudging uh, everything that I write. Thank you guys so much for, for the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity, Nick. Well, thank you for the great podcast and the service you're providing to educators. Yeah. This, is, this is wonderful. And if people want to reach out and, and advance our, our thinking, we'd love to hear from, from folks. Excellent. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.